Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 34, I believe. I have a good episode for you uh, in store for you today. I have uh, an interview with a gentleman that I think you will um, identify with very closely, as I do. Before I get started with that, though, I'd like to just take care of a few uh, housekeeping things, and that is, number one, you can help us out by supporting us, become a Patreon member, for as little as $3 a month, you do get some extras in there as well. Uh, we have, you'll be helping to fund such things as the upcoming documentary that we have, which is going to be released September 30th for Patreon subscriber members. And November 1st, for everybody else, it's going to be free, of course. Uh, but your support is greatly appreciated. And I look forward to getting your feedback on that. Um, I'd love to also have you send in your 30 second to one minute videos of what you think is really critically important right now, uh, what aggravates you, maybe some positive news. It's always good to have some positives, especially when people uh, are feeling the way that a lot of people feel these days with the election uh, steal and the other attacks on our liberties. Uh, it came out this week, uh, Friday, as a matter of fact, uh, Arizona, Maricopa, Maricopa County audit results. Of course, the left-wing, far, far left-wing media, which is most of them these days, uh, basically edited out segments of the report and then pretended it was the actual report by calling it the draft report. And they flat out lied. They've gone from concealing the, the fact that they are communists to being brazen and enjoying it, I think. Um, so the truth will continue to come out and we will see even bigger and better uh, data. And I fully believe that uh, Arizona's results has launched a domino effect. I hope you agree. Let me know what your thoughts are on that, what you think is happening in the future. I know we're all kind of tired of hearing about all this stuff, but it is critically important if we don't get 2020 right, there is no going forward. As you saw in the recall election out in the left coast, out there in the, uh, the People's Republic of California, uh, Gavin Newsom supposedly won the recall election, which I believe is fiction. I believe the same... Um, Cheating tactics were used out there. We have hundreds of reports of people coming in to vote only to be told they had already voted and they hadn't. So we know that they're employing the same tactics and that is unfortunate, but that is what we're dealing with. This week has been a busy week as far as headlines go. And um, we're going to get to that a little later on. I'm going to show the interview first. Uh, Mr. Robert Firth, Captain Firth, retired, is a Vietnam War vet, and he is one of those guys that, uh, men my age, I'm 54, that uh, we look at the tail end of the, the baby boomers, and he's one of those guys that you can, you can tell is the mentor type of man who uh, maybe is, is quiet. Uh, I'm not sure about that yet, but I do know that when he speaks, he's got something important to say, and I enjoy listening to him and and talking with him, and I hope you enjoy this interview as well. So let's get started. 
Hello, Patriots. My guest today is Captain Robert J. Firth. Robert is an experienced pilot, both in the military and the commercial area, and also is a avid writer and author. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. I uh, look forward to uh, to talking with you and uh, um, see what we can discover together. You know, I've only just recently met you and talked to you, but um, our conversations, what has struck me is our conversations are always very genuine, and we have a lot of, I think, uh, common common points of view, I would say, and so it's a pleasure. So I'm glad you agreed to be on the show, and I do want to just give you an opportunity to talk about yourself, give people the background that you want them to to hear and you think is important, and then also talk about your books and any particular um, items or topics or uh, critical points during this time in our history that you think people would be interested in. So I'm going to give you the floor here for a little bit. All right. Thank you very much. I like that. Um, Let's see. Um, I started... um, uh, my dad was a pilot with Eastern Airlines, so that was the beginning of my experience, uh, desire to fly airplanes. He, he f- was hired on with Eastern back in the 30s, and um, so I decided that would be a, an interesting career, uh, flying around in big airplanes with pretty girls and spending <laughs> weekends in San Juan on the beach and getting paid for it, even. Sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh, when I was 11 years old, Jeff, I used to fly with him to San Juan, and we'd leave New York in the big super constellation, and I'd ride in the cockpit because uh, those days a lot of the fathers would take their sons with them, and uh, there wasn't any objection from the FAA. Uh, the captain in those days was the captain. He could do what he wanted, and Dad was number 14 out of 6,000, so... <laughs> <laughs> he got to fly where he wanted, what he wanted, and when he wanted. Wow, that's awesome. So you saw some pretty <laughs> cool his, places, I bet. His favorite trip was New York to San Juan. <laughs> and then they stayed in the Caribbean Hilton. Uh, uh, the old part of the building was all Eastern Airlines, and uh, they had uh, th- these uh, all kinds of benefits were given to them. They could go golfing and didn't have to pay for it. Eastern Airlines was pretty much uh, the top of the airline pile down there in San Juan for many, many years. So I, I went with them on many weekends and <laughs> got, got to spend the weekends. Everybody was under six feet of snow in New Jersey, and here we were <laughs> sitting around the pool in the sunshine. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are great and memories. I was 11, sure. year, Eleven years old. <laughs> wow, that that'd be awesome. I, I was the only kid in grade school with a suntan <laughs> in the middle of the winter. Yeah. So <laughs> and they and they hated me. <laughs> so is that what led you? Is that what led you to to choose the military and fly in the, in the navy? Well, I I, I went to um, my dad decided that it, dad had left school in the eighth grade and went to live at a uh, little airport called Wings Field in Camden, New Jersey. And his uh, job was, when he was just a young boy, to fuel uh, the off- uh, the airplanes and clean the uh, office. And he was allowed to stay there 
and uh, they gave them one hour a week of flight training. And uh, that's at the end of a year, he had a license and uh, he was working for the company. And then Eastern got started there with Eddie Rickenbacker uh, borrowing money from the bank or whatever. And uh, he went to work and he stayed there until he retired in 1970. And uh, so his, he, he was very much concerned that I finish school. Uh, he said, I'll help you any way you want, but if you don't finish school, you get nothing. <laughs> and he, he, he bought me one hour of flight training at uh, ah. uh, Red, Bank, Red Bank Airport in the middle of the winter in a little, little single-engine fabric-covered Aronka Champ. <laughs> so that got you hooked then. Oh yeah, well I was I was hooked anyway. I mean, you know, flying with him on the weekends, gun, you know, was was great great fun. That's awesome. And, uh, so I said, okay, I'll. I went to uh, Philadelphia to college, university, and uh, studied engineering. And and while I was, you know, you you kind of classes start in September, so you go up there maybe a, a early. Uh, to sign up for classes mm -hmm. and uh, get the lay of the land. So I'm standing in line in uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, auditoriums, I guess, and I noticed, uh, you know, up in front, there was all the different classes, and you could sign up for them if make sure that they had room for you. And uh, so I saw these two naval officers sitting at a card table, down at the end of the room, I asked the guy in front of me, he said, excuse me, I said, who are those guys? Because I, 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 I didn't know anything about the reserve officer training program or anything. So the guy told me, he said, that's a Navy program. If you sign up, they pay your tuition. I said, you're kidding. I said, oh, hold my place. You know, so what year was I, that? In 1958. Wow. So, so I ran, I ran down there, and and there, there wasn't anybody standing in line there. There was nobody there. So I I marched up to them, you know, and said, "Gentlemen, uh, uh, what kind of a program do you have?" And they were went on to it, and they said, "Well, you go to class three days a week. Every summer, you take a little boat ride, a cruise, and um, then uh, we'll take care of your tuition and your books." And we'll give you 50 bucks a month spending money, and you can come to the Naval Officer Club at Philadelphia anytime you want, and you get tickets to free movies in town. And I said, you, you, I'm 18 years old. I said, you got to be kidding me. Where do I sign? Never, gotcha. never thinking, of course, never thinking for a minute that there, how could there, you know what, what? It's too good to be true. Now, and, I know, and that's a, a lesson in life that everybody should learn. If something sounds too good to be true, you step back and think. Yes. And and, and everything that they said was true. Uh, I did uh, go to class three days a week. We studied naval history, the Battle of Trafalgar and nonsense. And we marched around, uh, you know, over there in the building. And in the summers, we went for a boat ride. Well, I, I grew up in the yacht club. I grew up sailing boats, so what was you know, I love boats absolutely. I like boats more than airplanes. So, and that's how you, what, what that's, could what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, right. 
So, so we come to graduation, 1962, and uh, we have to decide uh, whether we're going to go four years of active duty because that was the uh, the, the payoff. That's what the, the contract was. That's what you have to do, or you can go into the reserves for eight years. You know, and so there were only 16 of us in this little class, and uh, so I said, well, if you can teach me how to fly. I'll, uh, I'll I'll just take go active duty because that's my intention is to go to learn to fly, and uh, so they had all these apparently uh, pilots uh, from uh, the um, Korean War, which ended you know about that a few years earlier, and they just weren't interested in doing any major flight training. So I tried the Marine Corps at Lakehurst, and the same story. So I went back to our people there, the Navy operation, and said, okay, I'll take the, the reserve duty. So fine. So I go to Florida, learn to fly, and um, get a job with an airline. And I'm working uh, for the airline, and along comes 1966, Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, you know, but in '62, who ever heard of Vietnam? Right. No, I mean, it didn't exist. It wasn't on. It wasn't on the radar screen well, at Ken- all. Kennedy Kennedy was well aware of of it and wanting wanting to stay out of it. And there's a whole bunch of theories around how that might have led led to his demise. We don't have time to talk about that. But yeah, so what? Did, so what did you? Story. Yeah. So what did you end up flying then? Was it the F-104 at that time or were you in a helicopter? Or? Well, I, I, I was flying. Uh, 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 I got a type rating uh, in Florida in a DC-3 flying for uh, Gulf American Land Corporation, had 11 DC-3s. And I, uh, that's, I got hired with uh, North Central Airlines as a co-pilot on DC-3s. And uh, went out to Minneapolis and uh, was flying out there for a year or so when uh, the chief pilot called me in and said, hey, you've got a telegram here uh, uh. from the Navy looking for you. And uh, so while I was <laughs> – well, so anyway, so I was preparing to, to, to go – there and I was studying and learning about what it was all about, you know, being recalled. And Ensign Benson, one of my classmates, Eddie Benson, who used to call him Ensign Benson, called me up. And and Eddie was married already and had two kids and was living in Philadelphia working for my aunt as a stockbroker, a, a job she tried to get me to do, but I had zero interest. <laughs> that was silly because he. <laughs> Obviously, it became rich and famous, and I did not. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he told me, he said, this is really bad, Robert, because um, they, they go through, when they call people out of the reserves, they go alphabetically. Well, he was his name started with the letter B, mine was F, so yeah. <laughs> they got to him first. Wasn't too long, was it? They're not. Kids are not. You're, you're a naval officer, and you're going. Period. There's no way you can say no. Yeah. Uh, Canada wasn't an option. That yeah. I think they would shoot you for that. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. That's uh, that's that's called treason in that in those days. For I sure. think so. you're well, I mean, you know, it's not like some draft dodger running to Canada. They got away with it. But I, 
I, I, you know, I, I explored the options. <laughs> I'm sure they viewed it as, you know, they had plenty of training dollars spent. So oh, they're yeah. going to they're gonna come after you if you don't go, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. What yeah, did you so, end up flying, though? In, in, uh, well, that's it. That's it. Is I, well, uh, when I got off the phone with Eddie, I was uh, packing my stuff, and I figured I'm going to have to figure out, get out of this apartment. I had a, a rented car, a leased car, actually. And I'm working on that, and the phone rang, and uh, on the phone was a guy named H. H. Dawson from an, uh, from Washington. I didn't know where he was from because in those days you couldn't see the area code on your telephones, you know. Oh sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and his, this guy smoked about two packs an hour, <laughs> and later died of lung cancer, oh, and, uh, which is predictable. Right. And uh, but anyway, he said to me. Uh, he said, uh, we've got uh, a list of pilots that are in the Navy from Bupers, which is a Bureau of Naval Personnel. The, 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 so he said, if you want to come to Washington, we can get you a job flying uh, and um, we'll uh, be able to have you on loan from from the U.S. Navy. So I, I uh, the next day. Um, got on an airplane, flew to Washington, and went to 815 Connecticut Avenue Northwest and met these guys in this little office. And uh, they said, look, uh, we need pilots, and you're a pilot, and um, we'll send you to training, and you'll come and fly for us for three years. Um, Or you can say no, and you'll wind up on a 40-foot plastic boat up and down the Mekong River, getting your rear end shot off. So <laughs> tough choice. That's a tough choice it's, there. Once again, <laughs> what they call Hobson's choice, you know. <laughs> I couldn't say no. It was just too good of a deal. <laughs> so uh, I mean, as it was, it was the best of the uh, of, of of a bad deal, let's say. So I, I uh, three days later, first I said, well, I got to go back to Minneapolis and take care of the apartment. He says, no, we already did. What? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I got this, uh, you know, this leased car. He said, don't worry about it. We took it back. Wow. I said, what? <laughs> so I said, here's your tickets. He said, you got to fly it out tomorrow morning and uh, stay at the Willard tonight, whatever. I'd love to stay <laughs> at going- the Willard. Yes, you're going to Taipei, buddy. Oh, jeez. And so, it, honestly, that was amazing. So I, I flew out to Japan, spent the night in in Tokyo. The next day, flew to to Taipei in Taiwan, and went to school for three weeks. And uh, my new employer uh, was a company you probably you never heard of back then, but you have now. It's called Air America. Uh-huh. And that's who I flew for. Oh, gotcha. And uh, all of us were, you know, in the military one way or the other. Uh, there might have been a few civilians that got into the mix, but they had 600 pilots. So we were a pretty good-sized airline. Yeah. We had bases uh, in, uh, all, over the, all over that part of the world, and... Uh, God knows how many airplanes. I have no idea. Uh, a lot, a lot of airplanes, and uh, the, the FNGs. I won't bother to tell you what that stands for. 
uh, on air here. But we had to take the entry-level airplane, which had one engine. <laughs> wow. And, and, and one pilot. And so, so, so here, here we were uh, flying over um, this uh, country uh, with all these guys on the ground trying to shoot us. I can't imagine how... Uh... <laughs> what the butt pucker factor was there. <laughs> well, it, it was indescribable, let's I say. Bet. I bet. So uh, It's one thing you take a little airplane with one engine and you fly to Bimini from Fort Lauderdale and you kind of realize that, uh, hey, you're out here over shark-infested water. If the engine quits, the sharks will eat you. Yeah. Well, Fly a single-engine airplane over Vietnam and see what it feels like. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, no it, that you now you know why it was an entry-level airplane. Wow. <laughs> and the uh, the uh, the guys that were flying it were all the the new guys that nobody wanted to get to know because they didn't figure you'd last long anyway. Now in so. World War Two, there was like a at least for bomber pilots there was. 50, 50 missions, right? And then you were, you were let loose. Is how if, how if, was that if, in Vietnam? Well, we we flew, uh, uh, you know, uh, way over a hundred hours a month. Um, wind up sometimes with a month off actually because we couldn't legitimately we couldn't fly more than about a thousand hours. So we would fly seven days a week. And uh, we would fly as many, uh, I have in my logbooks here, as many as 18 legs a day, 18 back and forth 20-minute legs a day. Wow. So what or who were you flying at that point? The, the, the airplane was called the Pilatus Porter. And it had uh, a 550-horsepower uh, prop jet engine with uh, eight seats, roughly, and a tail dragger. With a, it didn't have a yoke. It had a stick, and I, I, I fortunately I had flown airplanes with a stick before, and the DC-3 was a tail dragger. So they used to, they still do. They call that a conventional gear, although nobody has built a tail dragger in 50 years. So were you flying troops or flying supplies? No, we uh, no mostly. Uh, our passenger loads were mostly Vietnamese, and it, we never knew really who they were because gotcha. we couldn't talk to them. <laughs> I didn't learn very Vietnamese. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever find out more about those people? Or, or well, a little bit. I've written a couple books about it, and uh, the one I have is uh, called "Death Is My Co-Pilot." <laughs> And the subtitle is Single Engine, Single Pilot, uh, Vietnam. That's the subtitle. <laughs> now, I'm showing your books and your website on screen right now. Or we're, we're talking uh, on, the oh, on the phone right. here. Now, you've got an absolute ton of books here. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I, you know, when I get into something, I, <laughs> I never do anything halfway, Jeff. <laughs> well, it, it's quite impressive. And um, I just want to. I want to plug your website, which is which is Robert J 
www.dashfirth.com, correct? Yes, yes, sir. So that, and, uh, so people can go and they can check these books out. They can uh, they can contact you. Maybe if uh, there's other people that have shows, obviously, I mean, you're, to be honest with you, I don't know you very well, but I do know that you're one of the most uh, warm and genuine people I've talked to in, in doing this. And just the conversation flows so naturally. So I want to pick your brain a little bit. I'm interested sure. in, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what your viewpoints are. And there's nobody that I've ever talked to that has been a veteran during wartime that doesn't come away from it, I guess, I don't know what the right terminology is, but that doesn't come away from it with kind of a, a renewed view as to what it really means to serve your country. Some take a positive slant towards that and others take a negative slant. So I well, I, I want to get you. We'll be right back to see what Robert has to say about that. And again, that, email, or that uh, website is robert dash j Firth f-i-r-t-h and you can check out his books out there highly recommend you do that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with robert hello patriots would you like to become part of the patriot army you can do so by going to our website and clicking on the become a patron button top left of the screen you then can select your membership level. Also on our website, on the top right-hand side, you'll notice a Download Our App button. This app will enable you to keep in touch with the Patriot Review on a constant basis. You'll also be able to interact with our forum and chat with other members. We hope to see you there, and thank you for your support.
Hello, sunshine. It's time to kick ass and take names. Check out redbloodedpatriots.com. Subscribe and join the growing community of patriots. Patriotism and aging gracefully. It's a Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner. We're working with with the, the pilots, the, the guys that I knew, and and some of the clients that could talk. And 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 we did do a lot of resupply for the B teams, the 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 special forces in those days with all what they call green berets. They didn't have Delta Force then that I knew of. Uh-huh. They had Army Rangers. But we we worked with the B teams, which are the logistics or supply side of the spe- of the special forces in those days. And uh, Kennedy, as you remember, helped put the Green Berets in business. And uh, so when we did do flying for the military, uh, that was one of our what they called our customers. We had also USAID. And we had the embassy, and then we just had Air America itself, which actually would sell tickets. And we would taxi that airplane in front of our little terminal, and the passengers would come out with their baggage and and their ticket and hop on our little single-engine scare plane, and we would, we would fly them point to point around the country, sometimes making four or five stops before refueling. And then returning in the afternoon, so uh, it, it was a strange operation. Uh, and on the one hand, Air America was a 121 airline, which it really was. They were a certificated, licensed uh, airline, and we operated under the crew duty times uh, as specified and under 121. So many hours a day, and so many hours of rest, and etc. Gotcha. So, you know, and, so uh, I'd like to. I want to. I want to kind of direct you towards just today. I want to get your opinion on. You know, there was a comparison on advertisements for military recruiting that was done recently, and it shows the Russian military advertisement, and you know, it's all very, very, uh, very much. We're here to destroy our enemies. You know, aggressive, um, patriotic. Uh, masculine, and the Chinese the same. The Chinese are spending millions of dollars on a program to, I guess, uh, increase the masculinity of their their soldiers, their troops. Sure. And in America, we're creating animated cartoons about a girl who grows up with two moms, and <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't care what a person's sexual preference is. I mean, it's the, but. When I look at this and the damage that it's doing to our military who are here to defend our national security, and instead we're making everybody social warriors and going woke on them, I mean, what are your thoughts when you see that as a ex-military? Well, when we, the way we were trained 
when we finished our ground school in Taipei and we went to more ground school in Bangkok and we got into the training, uh, my uh, flight instructor uh, was uh, an ex-Marine carrier pilot and he was old school. <clears throat> and old school means that uh, you uh, put the trainee inside uh, a, a little wire cage and you poke him with a stick until you get him so damn pissed off that he'll chew the stick off. And if you let him out, he'll bite you. And <laughs> that's how the military trained fighter pilots, aggression. And uh, that's well, how were, we were trained. They were, preparing uh, they, were, they, you, they were preparing you in case you were captured, right? <laughs> I, well, I, I, I mean, that's I, part of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we yeah. went through. Listen, I'll tell you just a quick story. We went through E&E training, escape and evasion, down uh, uh, in, in a uh, little area about uh, 50 or so miles from Saigon. So the deal was um, you uh, take your survival vest and uh, you leave and uh, they give you a two hour head start. And then a bunch of trackers try to catch you and you try to hide for three days. And wow. <laughs> so my, my solution to that was um, I, 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 I lagged behind the group and they all went running down. and I let them get well ahead of me. And I got down to the end of the road there. And uh, we were at, there was an airport on the south side where all of the, Australian troops were based. And so my answer to the whole thing was to take a right turn on the perimeter road of the south side of the airport, head over to the beach, and then go back north again and find the Australians, which I did. And so I met these guys and I said, hey, I've got a couple of days. Can I can I bunk in at the BOQ? And um, <laughs> they said, "Yeah, right, might, right, might have have a beer, have, have a Foster's on us, might, you know." And and so I did. I stayed on the beach, and um, so at the appointed time, I wandered back with uh, a boonie hat, uh, a nice pair of Australian military shorts uh, that I got in their commissary, and a cold beer. <laughs> and the rest of my guys were sitting there covered with mosquito bites with their hands tied behind their backs, looking like hell. <laughs> and I'll tell you, and the, gun, the sergeant, the old sergeant that was doing the training, threw a fit. He got, I said, calm down, you're going to blow a gasket, buddy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought he was going to, he was so jumping up and down. I thought he was going to hit me. And I said, look, you told me in Bangkok, and not him, I said, but we, you, uh, we were taught to try to blend in. Right. I said, look, I'm six feet tall. I'm 200 pounds. The Vietnamese are five feet tall and 100 pounds. How the hell? They're yellow and I'm white. What, how am I going to blend in? You know? Exactly. <laughs> so I said, I knew the Aussies were there, and I knew they looked like me. And that's how I blended in. Well, hell, I call but, that ingenuity, right? I mean. <laughs> let me tell you, that changed my career. That that little stunt, which seemed like logical to me, but uh, the embassy heard about it. Of course, he he the sergeant wrote up a report of what a horrible person I was, and uh, almost all of my flying after that was with 
uh, embassy personnel. And uh, so I pretty well stuck with that through the years that I've stayed there. And uh, when I came home, uh, they, my reputation <laughs> preceded me. And I, uh, they got me a lovely job flying for the Navy here in Palm Beach uh, in 1970, uh, flying over to Autech, Atlantic Undersea Testing and Evaluation Center on Andros Island. So I, I still, uh, when I came home, I was still about uh, four or five months short of my four years. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I finished up. But uh, the, uh, the 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 Mecca engine on the on the Porter was problematical to say the best I could say about it. It was a, it quit on me twice. I had two forced landings wow. out there. One of them at a little airport called Mito. More pucker factor. Well, here's what they t they it's what Jake told me. Here's my, my my training pilot. He said, "Look, you got one engine on this airplane, and it's a lousy engine. So as long as the engine's running, keep climbing." <laughs> he said, "You know, in a single engine airplane, there is no substitute for altitude, especially here." And those words, you know, they they stuck with me. <laughs> I they, bet. They, Jeff, those words rang true. I, I would climb that airplane and continue to climb it until the passenger's lips match my blue shirt. <laughs> there you go. So, so what do you think? What do you, what do you think when you see what's going on in the military today? I mean, what, what's your? Uh, they can play. They can play with their pink camos and 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 uh, mess around like Bradley Manning, and uh, yeah, I'll have have operations and to become trances, whatever they call them today. Well, you uh, know, yeah, so really stupid, you know, it's just plain stupid. It is. Uh, that's not how we were trained. Uh, when you're in a fight, you're in a fight. And uh, not that I was fighting anybody. I w we were not, in the beginning, we couldn't even carry a gun. Uh, so we were, you know, in that sense, sort of neutral. And Later on, of course, well, <laughs> once uh, we had a terrible incident with a crew uh, on a plane that was actually shot down, and uh, so they decided, okay, you can have a gun now. And and so being alone, though, I I, I figured out that okay, I, I started. I said, okay, I can have a gun. So I had a flight kit, and I put hand grenades, uh, a grease gun and a bunch of clips, and I picked the case up to put it in the airplane one too many times, and the handle broke. <laughs> and then I started to think, how far can I run carrying that 50-pound bag full of right. hand grenades and bullets? <laughs> right. so, so I started talking to the guys on the B teams and some of the A team guys about what we should be doing, and they said, look, Get away from that airplane as fast as you can, and and run like hell and hide. And uh, so I got rid of my boots and I got sneakers. I got I, I took two canteens of water, got rid of the grease gun and got a 22 with a silencer. And um, I got uh, we carried our maps with us, and uh, a compass and my survival vest. And the, the, so I learned pretty quickly that if you shoot one of these guys, they're never by themselves. 
Mm-hmm. So there are friends who walk around behind you and blow your head off. So, so, mm-hmm. so a single person, uh, how, no matter how well armed, if you're by yourself in a squad of VC or hunting you, 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 the best thing you can do is give up. With, if you hurt one of their buddies, you're, you're, you're not going to live more than five minutes after they catch you. It sounds like so, very sound advice. Well, yeah. I didn't know that up front, Jeff. Right. Well, no. I mean, it sounds like great advice. You're going in thinking, hey, i got to have power. Really, you want <laughs> stealth, right? You want to run and hide. Yeah. Makes sense <laughs> to me. So we, we had uh, uh, we had a couple problems with the airplane. The first time I was at 8,500 feet uh, when uh, the oil seal blew out. And the thing lost all of its oil in seconds and was able to uh, turn back and, and got it back on the ground at the airport. I totally forgot about the passengers until I looked behind <laughs> me and saw their faces. They weren't yellow anymore. They were, they were scared white. Oh, I bet. I would be too. Yeah, so I was too. I'm sure we looked the same. Hey, I want to I get your thoughts on another thing here now. Uh, recently... General Milley made the news by what I what I would call a treasonous act by calling his counterpart in China and telling him that he would give the Chinese government through this contact warning as to what the United States was going to do if it included anything aggressive or uh, isn't that treason? I mean, what's your what's your opinion on that? Colonel Vinman told him that that was wrong. And uh, so, you know, I, we have to see the transcripts, actually, to know what he really said. Uh, if he did say that, that's treason. That's plain and simple. Uh, giving aid and comfort to the enemy uh, and right. it's to the military code of justice, uh, that's high treason. And the punishment for high treason is death. Yeah, and, and you're uh, right about the phone transcripts. I mean, what, hap- what happened to the Democrats or the uh, – I don't know. Shouldn't even call them Democrats anymore. The, the the people I'm talking about are communists. What what happened to them? You know, you remember they wanted the transcripts of Trump and his phone call and his tax returns. And yeah, everything. I mean, they made a huge deal, and I've read those transcripts. And they made a huge deal out of nothing. And in this case, you know, yeah. as is similar with Biden, now Biden should have been impeached. <laughs> you know, the day he stepped into office. You know, they made. Stake. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Joe is a self-confessed criminal, and uh, that's un- unfortunate, but that's the truth. And uh, he, he has no business there. It, obviously, we, we all knew that night at 3 in the morning that the election had been stolen. Yes. It was pretty clear that that was the case, and it's becoming increasingly clear since then, to the point where 70% of the United States people today believe that the election was rigged and yeah, stolen and more and the number that's increasing more and more are the the people who voted democrat it was originally yeah. it was originally 30 percent the last i've seen now it's like uh 47 to 50 percent yep and yep and i'm we're recording this on wednesday the 22nd so we're two days away from one o'clock friday arizona releasing their audit results and uh, i as i stated on the last show uh, last episode, you know, we're looking at at a discrepancy of at least seventeen and a half percent, you know, and 
the fact is they will say that Biden did not win Arizona, even though the yeah. the media, including Fox, which uh, I stopped watching Fox, very disappointed in Fox, uh, you know, uh, just announced that Biden won Arizona very prematurely. And then we looked at all those six primary uh, states, the uh, the swing states that ended their vote count, kicked out the GOP vote observers yes. uh, in Detroit. They're taping up pizza boxes in the window. Uh, <laughs> people are being escorted out, you know, if they're GOP. I mean, people... Yeah, it was, and, it was blatant and it was obvious. It was so... And I yeah. think, uh, Who does Lindell that? Lindell has proven that the Dominion machines have... Uh, have uh, communication devices buried in uh, the uh, hardware in the motherboards. They have uh, modems, and he has taken them apart and shown the yeah. public where the modem is and how it works. And if you walk past that machine with a lap with a with a telephone, and you have a, what they call a hotspot on your cell phone, uh, that they can link directly uh, to the voting machine, and he showed over and over again, uh, maybe more than he needed to, uh, how easy it was and how frequently the, the Chinese hackers were flipping the votes in the terms yes. of millions, actually, millions. Right now. So this, the whole thing is phony. And I'll tell you that the Republicans that voted in the Senate to, to, to uh, legalize, legitimize the electoral votes are, and they knew even then, of course they knew, uh, that this was a criminal conspiracy to steal an election. Absolutely. And they're all sitting there playing, the entire Congress, the entire federal government, everybody there, no matter what side of the aisle they sit on, they know very well that Biden is illegitimate and he's a criminal and he's a Chinese pawn. They know it. Well, even even and Kamala Harris knows it. I mean, they're pretending that this is a government. It is. It's it, it's 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 a sickest joke and the greatest crime in the history of this country. The only thing that ever came out of Kamala Harris's mouth that was true was in the debate against Joe Biden, when she was still a presidential candidate, and she looked at him and said, "You will do whatever the Chinese tell you. They've already oh, yeah. given your family a billion dollars or whatever she said." But that was. <clears throat> that was the most truthful thing that this woman has ever stated. And for Mike sure. Pence to do what he did, I can't speak yeah. for you. I'm, but I'm, Because, uh, you know, they both voted to uh, allow the electoral college votes to stand. They could have, they had a choice. They could have sent them back and said, we disagree. There's something wrong here. We're not going to allow this. And so Congress failed. And then the courts refused to grant standing to Texas and other country, states that brought a suit. They said, oh, you don't have standing. How could they not have standing? Yeah, the communists, the communists like to say that, oh, it's already been to court in so many places, and it's there's nothing there. The fact is they, yes. never, they never went into any kind of discovery phase or evidential review phase whatsoever. No, so, no, and the, the attorneys uh, for Trump at that time were threatened with their lives. Yes, they were. They, they were threatened with their lives because these Democrats are communists. They don't care. And assassination is on the table. Uh, yes. We think somehow the, 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 the tens of deaths, the 60 or 50 deaths that are 
connected to the Clintons cannot be explained by circumstance. That ends part one of my interview with Captain Firth. Please be with me next week, and I will play the second part. We get into quite a bit of detail about everything that's going on these days, and you don't want to miss that. So check it out. I stream always at 4 o'clock on Sundays, and that will be the same for next week. So I, uh, I'm going to come back and hit on a few important topics. We'll take a break real quick. Hello, Patriots. It's Jeff Wagner of the Patriot Review. I have a platform for you I want to call your attention to. It is called rightonly.net, and as it states, it's for the right only. The leftist Marxist trolls and bots will be booted from this platform. You, on the other hand, will have a voice. You will not be censored. For all of us who've suffered through the past year or so, of the leftist Marxist BS on Facebook and YouTube. This is very welcome indeed. Check it out, rightonly.net. By the way, they are not paying me to do this. Check it out. You too can support the Patriot Review. Seriously, why not? You should help a guy out, starting at $3 a month. That's not so bad now, is it? Ignore the thought police and subscribe or follow the Patriot Review. It's your patriotic duty. not only of sight and sound, but of mind. Welcome back. It's the Orwellian Zone. There is no shortage of material for this. Today's quote from 1984 is, I know precisely what you are feeling. 
I know all about your contempt, your hatred, your disgust. But don't worry, I am on your side. Hmm. I'm on your side. Don't worry. Take the jab. It's good for you. Don't worry about facts. Let's just do what you're told and fall in line. Boom, major law firm confirms FDA deceived Americans with its confusing approval of the Pfizer Vax. What? They lied? They really didn't approve the vaccine? It was another vaccine? You don't say. Oh my gosh. Well, luckily, these vaccines are safe, everybody. Um. Oh yeah, wait a minute. Here's another inconvenient truth. Oxford University study finds fully vaccinated healthcare workers carry 251 times the viral load compared to unvaccinated, proving the COVID-19 jabs make it worse. They make you worse. You, uh, you're risking, literally risking your life. That has been uh, demonstrated and shown. The numbers and the the VARES website. We have heard of uh, doctors being kicked off if they're not complying. Uh, we've heard that the reporting, the 14,000 plus fatalities, uh, really is just between one and, and maybe 10% of the total. So we are being uh, deceived consistently and constantly. I will have the links to these articles in the uh, description of the show when I get to that, hopefully later tonight um, or tomorrow. Also, remember, when Congress decides that what is good for thee is not good for me, it should tell you something. I, I mentioned this article last week, Congress and all judges exempt from mandatory COVID vaccine. Hmm. Well, that's interesting now, isn't it? I wonder why that is. Uh, showed this last week, too. I have a follow-up for you that I think if you haven't heard about it, you really will want to check into it. This says science team reveals graphene, aluminum, LNP capsids, egg, and parasites in COVID vaccines. Uh, like I said, I mentioned that last week. Now this week, I want to call your attention to uh, another, uh, actually, I want to go back, another uh, issue with the vaccines. And I got to get on the right page for you here. Uh, let's see. The, the vaccines themselves are not, not safe. And there is a documentary that I'm trying to find here. I actually have it on one of my, one of my pages um, that is not cooperating. So I will get that up for you for next week's show, but I'll tell you this much about it. It was a press conference that was held, uh, I believe in Germany, and there were medical professionals from all over the world involved in the study as to what's in the COVID vaccine. And um, the, the vaccine itself, you know, was shown to be unsafe. Uh, they showed that there were minute particles of such things as stainless steel. They showed the parasites in the slide uh, presentation. They have video uh, about three hours long of all the evidence that shows that this vaccine 
is not at all safe and that um, we really need to halt the, giving this vaccine and make sure that we are protecting people the way we should be. Remember, this is a COVID's a virus that 99.9% of people under 70 who didn't have a who don't have an immunocompromised system uh, survived. Yet they have been using COVID to as a scare tactic, as a crisis. We all know this story, but anyway, I will put the link in the show uh, notes at the bottom, the description at the bottom, and I will highlight that for next week. Maybe I'll even take a pick apart the video a little bit and um, give you an idea as to what the content is, so you don't have to go ahead and read the uh, or read watch the three-hour video presentation. So, and then again next week we have part two with uh, Robert, Captain Firth. He is going to be discussing things in great detail with me a little bit more about uh, about what is going on in our world today. Also, I want to encourage you to go to his website. His website is www.robert-j-firth.com. So go ahead and check that out. And then the week after next, we're going to be talking about how never Trumpers are destroying America. Uh, I'm looking forward to you sending in 30 second to one minute videos talking about whatever topic you like. Of course, uh, keep it clean, hopefully. And I will air that. I'd like to know what you think the most important issues are that we're facing today. And if you have anything positive to add, some maybe something happened or someone uh, is busy doing something to counteract all the bad stuff that's going on, it would be great to have some positive stories to share with people. I think we all... Uh, really could use that about now. So uh, that is it for today. I look forward to you being back next week. Remember, Robert will be back with us for part two of his interview. And of course, I will get a little better organized and show you that uh, that link for the video that we talked about. Thank you. God bless you all. And we'll see you soon.